As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, big dress rehearsal sees Aguero controversial and a city reversal. Meanwhile, race for top four. Will foxes flock more after magpies use them to mop floor? All those questions and others on the way as we round up all the weekend's headlines and check out the games to come this week and hear other stories too, like how to play rock, paper, scissors with Marcus Rashford. It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And hello there, the birds are singing outside on what may be for you, listener, Monday the 10th of May. Uh, here with me, I have the very pleasurable chorus of Daniel Story, uh, who's written a piece on Man United's reborn left back and called it Shaw's Mank Redemption. Nice work. Adam Hurry is also here with us. He's tired of hearing if Dan Burns is tall. <laughs> hello, James. Yes, indeed I am. And Carl Anker is taking a break from worrying about Harry Maguire's ankle. Yes, I am. Hello, James. Hello to you all. Hello to you all. It's been a big weekend. What with one thing and another. Championship wrapped up. Robbie Bailey's got a question for you, Adam. He says, has Football Clichés got anything that sums up all the thrills of the championship on Saturday? It was, was it a roller coaster? I don't think it was. It wasn't that dramatic, was it? It, did, it didn't really go from one thing to another. It was just it was kind of inexorable. Um, Not quite a roller coaster, but a steep vertical drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, that is a fairground ride, though, isn't it? The one that just yeah. goes straight down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that then. What's it that called? Then. Oblivion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, a bit like Oblivion. Depth charge. <laughs> Absolutely. Derby County staying up. Sheffield Wednesday going down in what is a bad season for teams from Sheffield. Uh, Daniel, you've got one in the eye, quite literally, about, you know, Sheffield getting it in the eye. Yeah, they were sick. They were, Sheffield United were sixth in the Premier League and Sheffield Wednesday were sixth in the Championship when the first case of coronavirus was discovered in the UK. And yeah, both now relegated to second and third tier respectively. Is there a correlation between those things? They think, which I think every fan of every club probably does, that the lack of supporters has, has harmed them. Uh, I don't think that explains by far and away you know, all the problems and being so much worse than everyone else as, as Sheffield United have been. Sheffield Wednesday were relegated because they got a points deduction. They would have stayed up otherwise. So right. that's obviously played a pretty big part. Lack of supporters, of course, hasn't impaired the remarkable Chelsea women. Kaz B98, as opposed to all the other Kaz Bs out there, uh, says, can we have a shout out to Chelsea women for sealing the WSL title in style with their win over Reading? And of course, salute Farrell Williams for an incredible career good to see Adam on the pod again says Kaz I mean extraordinary Chelsea women the way that they're on for the quintuple and finishing in such style what was it 5-0 against Reading on the Sunday brilliant piece uh, from Katie Wyatt on The Athletic which I know is kind of our our sister publication but it is genuinely excellent on the genius of of Emma Hayes although it doesn't contain her kind of geese metaphors which which um, what the the inevitable reaction to the the geese metaphor, which was which is a really kind of um, well measured study 
of how how geese formations relate to the leadership qualities of a football team. Um, this was the inevitable destiny for that was that it was going to get compared to Cantona's Seagulls Trawlers classic. But unfortunately, football's bar for what constitutes cryptic is infamously low. And uh, <laughs> I actually think both of the statements made perfect sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. Hayes, Hayes particularly so, and mm. uh, she's she's so listenable. Um, I'm I'm enraptured by Emma Hayes right now, quite frankly. Her point about geese was that at various times in their migration, different geese will take point on the formation to essentially be the windbreak, to, to kind of break through the, the air friction and, and ensure an easier ride for them behind them. It's as much as the peloton does in, in, in cycling. And she also says, and she kind of peppers this this with kind of little things as, as you all probably know and I, I didn't know this honking in geese culture she reveals is to make the person in front of you speed up i did not know that so when you see that v formation honking their way across the sky they are geeing each other along of course while um, eric Cantona was uh, with uh, sardines and also cows with his metaphor uh, sir alex ferguson also was a keen user of geese analogy he once told his players that these geese fly 4,000 miles to get a bit of sun. All I'm asking you to do is play 38 games to win the league, which puts it in perspective. Carl, you're worried about Man United's busy week. Think of the geese. I shall do. I've been quite impressed by the the size of the geese since moving to Manchester. So, uh, yes, I'll bear this in mind during what will be a very hectic week. We'll be taking a gander at uh, United and their busy week and all that later on. But let's start today... Uh, with the big game at the Etihad on Saturday. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This will be 183 for Aguero for City. Oh dear. Oh. It's what they call a Penenka. And both managers are going to go down the tunnel in high dudgeon. Yep, Manchester City won Chelsea 2 on Saturday in the dress rehearsal. TM, everybody. But Sergio Aguero fluffing his lines there with the chance to put uh, City 2-0 up. Uh, Aguero later posting an apology on social media. It was a bad decision and I take full responsibility for his choice of Penenka. Duncan Alexander observing that only in a country where the kid at school who can hit the ball the hardest is automatically <laughs> made captain would this be necessary. Uh, beyond the Aguero miss and, and what that goal might have meant for the scoreline, etc., what did you make of this game? I, I kind of thought that when I saw the team, I, I it seems a ludicrous thing to say, but if, if it's, you said it about anyone, it would probably be Pep Guardiola. But I, I just looked at the team and thought, well, he's picked a shape to not give anything away for the Champions League final. He's deliberately, not deliberately sacrificed, but almost said, you know, go out and kind of free form it. We'll see what happens. And they won't know what we're going to do, which I thought was odd because... I'm pretty sure we could pick his team for the Champions League final and I think we can probably pick the shape of it. So it it seemed a very kind of deliberate gesture to do that when, you know, it's not like Thomas Tuchel is going to be fooled by that because if if I can think that, then Thomas Tuchel certainly can. Um, But it it was an entertaining game. But yeah, I mean, obviously that that, that penalty miss and the timing of the penalty miss would have killed off the game. And um, yeah, I mean... Chelsea just go from strength to strength to strength and there was that list that I think it was Julian Laurent um, tweeted on on Saturday night the, the list of managers that, that Tuchel has beaten in four months at Chelsea so it's Guardiola twice, it's Klopp, it's Simeone twice, it's Zidane, it's Ancelotti it's everybody basically and they've conceded one goal in those eight games and I don't think they're favourites for the Champions League final but I, I think it's a toss up that's interesting because that's now twice in a row that Tuchel has beaten Pep Guardiola in, in the space of just a few weeks. Why don't you? Why? Why? Do you guys agree with Daniel that that City remain the favourites, or yeah. has he got his number? I think Manchester City just have greater variance in tactical schemes going into that Champions League final. So this Chelsea team, while there's strength and depth, and there's a number of players that can offer things, I think the ways in which Chelsea will attack are, are you know, one to three, where the ways in which Manchester City can attack can be one to seven, if that makes any vague sense. There is something about Timo Werner that makes me reluctant to give Chelsea the, the favourites for the Champions League final. But there is also something to this Chelsea squad that makes them a difficult matchup for Manchester City. And, and like Daniel said, what's un- interesting is that Pep Guardiola didn't go for his strongest strength 11, but also Chelsea still haven't gone with their strongest 
strength 11 in these recent games against Manchester City as well. This is a very weird sort of uh, poker game where both people are holding something in reserve for, for what I'm expecting should be uh, a very tense and dour one-all Champions League final that goes to Panoys. Do you think? I think it, it it's building up to one of those games where everyone overthinks it to the point that um, there will be such thought about manipulation of space that they'll just cancel each other out and it will have to be decided on penalties. What I would say is that you know, the obvious caveat of Guardiola's team selections aside for the two recent games, you've, we've seen recent Chelsea teams look so timid against Manchester City, Sarri's, Lampard's team. It got to the point where it was actually quite comical how timid they were, especially at the Etihad. And in the last two games, regardless of who they've come up against, Tuchel has got them with perfectly right attitude. It's not its not necessarily get stuck into City. It's, it's, you know, get on the front foot when you can. Chelsea are so good without the ball, better than they have been for so, so long, perhaps even maybe at Conte's peak. And they're, and they're getting better with it. I mean, in Tuchel's early days, they weren't a hugely prolific team. And they weren't hugely adventurous either. They tried to be, but they just they just didn't have the finishing touch. And they're getting there. And and that kind of trajectory is, is going to be more interesting when we hit sort of Champions League finals. So amateur psychology of the team selections aside, um, I, I, I don't really believe that that can really work, you know, that you can hoodwink a team into, into changing their plans. I, I, I think it's probably a little bit closer than it would have been maybe a month or so ago. Okay. Is the final, is there any movement on this notion of it being moved from Istanbul, by the way? I believe one of the dominoes fell once Turkey was announced on the red list for potential flights on Friday. So as I understand, the Football Association and the government have open talks with UEFA. Uh, I do not know beyond open talks because the FA and the government open talks with many institutions and not much tends to happen, such as the effectiveness of both of those institutions. So it remains to be seen, I think, but there is a slight potential now that uh, Turkey has been placed on the red list. I doubt organisers in Istanbul will willingly give up a Champions League final. If it, if it does move, I think Wembley and uh, Porto um, are seen as the likeliest candidates. I think if it comes to the UK, it's going to be Wembley because they they know that Wembley can get 22,500 people in during the Euros a, a couple of weeks later. So that's kind of set up for that. There was talk of kind of Villa Park and Ibrox or Hamden or Millennium Stadium, but I think it'll be Wembley or Porto or Istanbul, obviously. Okay. Returning to Saturday's game anyway at the Etihad and, and the subject of Team Werner, do they not have offsides in the Bundesliga? <laughs> I think it's I think it's a, a confidence issue. So he is got some really good off the ball movement, and there was you know parts earlier in the season when Tim Werner looked absolutely sharp of confidence, where he is now doing the the sort of basics of striking play. You know the when you talk about strikers not scoring, you know at least he's getting in the good positions. And Timo Werner is, is doing that, but he's, his timing is just a little bit off. Marcus Rashford had a spate just in January where he was constantly jumping the gun on offsides. So I think this is something that's definitely being coached. In sort of Thomas Tuchel trying is trying to you know stoke the fires of Timo Werner to get him scoring goals, and he's perhaps a little bit overeager, and that's why he's jumping the gun. But he's looking promising, ish. What do you think the training drills are like when you're trying to teach a striker to stop himself being offside? Did you, what move the cones back a couple of yards? I'm, I, I mean, I agree that I agree that it, it wouldn't take much to, to get a striker in tune with that sort of thing. But what makes me feel particularly sorry for Werner during his kind of um, low key malaise at the moment? Um, given that Chelsea are playing so well, it's not a huge deal, but. Um, all the goals he has disallowed are really good finishes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> compared to the chances he misses that, you know, are legit. That's what I feel most sorry about because no one ever mentions those, but they are genuinely good finishes. So I um, feel very sorry for him, mostly. Mm. What What do you think the repercussions for Sergio Aguero are going to be for for the penalty? Genuinely, well, do you think I, it's I, just going to yeah, be laughed I, off or will that... <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't think there are any repercussions. I do think that two things that would have been probably unthinkable 12 months ago firstly I think he's got a zero percent chance of starting in the Champions League final which if he'd have been fit a year ago would have seemed unthinkable uh, and secondly there's no doubt although he is probably City's greatest ever goal scorer that goodbye is becoming a lot more palatable I think you know he's only scored two Premier League goals this season uh, and I think we said it last week on the show maybe that 
his next choice of location of destination i think is probably being decided by how badly this season is going i don't this this idea he's going to go to a you know an ac milan or something like that i don't i don't think that's going to happen because I just think his legs are tired. I think he's been played an awful lot of football for an awfully long time. And I think he, I hope he goes back to Argentina. I really do. Okay. Beyond that, should City have had another penalty for the foul on Sterling, who maybe should have been off anyway for his attempt to make sure that Timo Werner lost his second leg? <laughs> it, it was, I thought it was a penalty. I thought, I mean, uh, and I'm using the um, unimpeachable logic of you've seen them given and if it right. was if it was your team you'd be screaming for it uh, which both are um, impossible to argue against so it was 100% penalty no doubt okay before we move on from this adam uh, is it all right to call this a dress rehearsal ooh well i'd say 21 days between that game and the champions league final is right at the upper limit but i'd okay. say it's, broad, it's broadly okay but then if we, if you add the fa cup semi final to the equation i guess that was the table read this was the dress <laughs> rehearsal. Um, Guardiola's ongoing refusal to play his full-strength team rather undermines the whole thing. But I, I, but yeah, it, it's not that complicated. It was a dress rehearsal. Fact. Okay. <laughs> Chelsea, with this move up to third place, behind them now are Leicester, who lost at home to Newcastle. Also losing this weekend, plenty of other teams in the top four race, Spurs and West Ham. But Liverpool and Everton both won. What does that all mean for the top four? That's what we're going to discuss next. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the question sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your four-fold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begumbleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is Leicester. Leicester was flying high until a few weeks ago. Then this happened. Can you go on mute, Brendan? Yeah, Leicester's top four status after the shock of the weekend. Newcastle's 4-2 victory at the King Power is looking in doubt. It was the Foxes' third defeat in their last six. We'll see how tight it makes the race for that full Champions League spot in a second or two. But let's begin by saying, wow, Steve Bruce is among the nominees for Premier League Manager of the Month for April. And he's going to win it for May. Uh, yeah, they were they were brilliant. I mean, this is this is the Newcastle that Newcastle fans wanted to see because this is the Newcastle that that late Benitez tenure had. They did allow twenty five shots on goal, which is far too many, but they they just they were so ruthless. And Sam Maximan is a joy. Callum Wilson is a joy in a very different way. Paul Dummett scoring a header by beating Wesley Fofana in the air is a joy. It looked like a team with the playing with the pressure off against a team that are quickly becoming kind of hamstrung by um, the magnitude of of the situation and and Johnny Evans getting injured in the warm up clearly set them back. But there's no excuse for Soinchu's mistake and Castagna's mistake and Fafana missing his header and yeah, it was pretty grim. Twenty five shots for Leicester and another fourteen was it for Newcastle who with that raced to a four nil lead and had that until pretty much the kind of last ten minutes of the game before Leicester mounted something of a comeback. It's one defeat in the last six for the Magpies and a slightly bemused-looking Steve Bruce afterwards saying, why? Well, we got war players back. And <laughs> I mean, is it as simple as that? Sort of. They've There's a lot of good counter-attacking potential in this Newcastle team. A lot of that is a bit more by San Maximan and his ball-carrying where you can sort of progress the thing 30, 40 yards and just attract a whole bunch of attackers towards him and then he sprays it out. But, you know, like Daniel said, Callum Wilson really helps because he's the clinical finisher that when the ball does eventually get to the final third, he is going to get a shot on target. Um, they were playing with a sort of weird midfield diamond for a little bit a couple of months ago. Uh, and while that shape hasn't returned, there, there's just 
there should be a more succinct way to describe this than Newcastle just have a lot of potential to be fun, but Newcastle have a lot of potential to be fun because they've got this very strange lopsided team that they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll just score four and give up two. Why not? I think the concern for Le- Leicester now is they had Ndidi and so many of Brendan Rodgers' schemes for Leicester City revolve around Wilfred Ndini's going to be the stopper in the middle third and then I can just play a whole bunch of forwards in front. Uh, and Adili's looking a bit tired. Madison hasn't been the same since he's come back from injury. Uh, Jamie Vardy, while he's been doing quite good work to facilitate Iniacho, isn't doing much himself. And they are still having shots. But th- this thing is, you know, when Brendan Rodgers, when a Brendan Rodgers team has their tails up, it's really good. When they're not, it can be quite concerning quickly. And Rodgers tends to figure things out eventually. The, the the idea is the eventually, hopefully, is this season rather than in the summer or next season, unless they again fall out of the top four. Right, like last year. So Johnny Evans got injured in the warm-up and he had been excellent for uh, Leicester in, in recent games at both ends of the pitch. But Rodgers afterwards was really specific about the fact that just mentally he felt that his team didn't turn up for the first half. Which is kind of Brendan Rodgers' thing, that he, he does get players ready for occasions by either taking the pressure on himself or making them feel a million dollars but um and we've said it before but they've got Manchester United and Chelsea and Tottenham last three games now they might be given a wonderful cheat card in that sounds like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is basically going to pick a reserve team on Tuesday and pick a stronger team against Liverpool on Thursday which um I kind of like I kind of like it as a not just because it rests players but I quite like the idea of Solskjaer saying, well, I'd rather have Leicester in the Champions League next season than, than <laughs> Liverpool because I've, we fancy our chances of getting further. Um, but yeah, that could really help. I, I wonder, I mean, there are going to be questions asked about Brendan Rodgers if they don't make the top four, as they didn't last season. And then you could probably put Liverpool's 2013-14 title run in into the equation too as this kind of tidy pattern to pick out. But I always, always concerns me when we dwell on the intangibles, especially when it comes to managers, because I don't think we really know what makes good managers. So I think it's quite dangerous to pick out these kind of patterns and um, and the idea that Rodgers may be innately um, prone to his teams running out of gas with about four or five games to go. Um, I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think we'll ever know. So if it's for that reason alone, I hope that Leicester get into the top four so we don't have to talk about it ever. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. But if it does happen again, I can understand why people would say, once, twice, as you mentioned, Liverpool fits with that narrative as well. So, uh, so the first time last season, I think very much had to do with Ndidi getting hurt because he's right. sort of the bedrock. This season is a bit stranger. There have been injuries to Harvey Barnes and whatnot, not, and you're seeing good Rogers in that he had a problem with Jamie Vardy and went, okay, I'll tinker this around, and Iniesta will now be the the sort of furthest forward, and Vardy will facilitate. So that's good Rogers. But now he has this problem where. Indeed, he's looking a bit sluggish. Tielemans, who's meant to be the other deep-lying midfield and do a lot of work, is now looking like a 23-year-old who's played over 2,500 minutes. So he's looking a bit knackered. And I know we should have smarter ways to explain teams falling off other than he's knackered. But also, we are approaching this part of the season where a lot of the players are going, he's knackered, he's knackered, he's knackered, he's knackered. So essentially, what what we're saying here is it's just a question of squad depth, not any inability of of, of Brendan to deal with the the crucial final weeks of a season. I think it's both. I think there's something unique about the way Brendan Rodgers makes changes in some schemes, but not in the fundamental bedrock that allows his teams to get tired towards the latter part of the season. You know, uh, sort of a... You've got a nice outfit, you've got a nice suit, but you're constantly changing the tie and the pocket square, but you're still wearing the same blue suit. And eventually the suit looks a bit, hang on, the button's fallen off there. <laughs> I think um, the question is not necessarily whether Rodgers is doing anything wrong, but whether Leicester players have a psychological mindset of we remember what happened this last season, is it happening again? Because whether or not he's doing anything different or anything wrong, if the players are worried and thinking, oh goodness me, and and you look at Castagna's mistake and you look at Siunchi's mistake and they were mistakes of players who albeit because of changes before, just before kickoff, but they, they were panicky and they were fearful. And that's the question. You know, I don't necessarily think Rodgers is doing anything wrong, but if the players are kind of buying into that, oh God, we missed out last year and it's happening again, then that can quite quickly kind of dismantle things. Mm. Well, the defeats to Spurs and West Ham 
alleviated the damage a little bit. Leicester have dropped to fourth place. They're on 63 points. They've got West Ham five points behind them. Liverpool are six points back, but with a game in hand. Same for Spurs, but without the game in hand. Everton are seven points back, but do have a game in hand. Is that complicated enough for you? Uh, they would be comfortable, I think, with that if it wasn't for those remaining fixtures, as you say, Daniel. Man United away on Tuesday, then Chelsea away, and then the home clash with Spurs to finish off. Plus, of course, the FA Cup final with Chelsea next Saturday. Richard Holgate, hello, Richard, says, could the panel take a punt at the final top five? Go on, Adam, on behalf of us all. Okay, yes, yes, Manchester City are going to win the league. Um, Manchester United will hold on to second place. Uh, I fancy Chelsea for third now. So, given those final fixtures, I think Liverpool are going to sneak in. I think Liverpool are going to sneak in. There would be something slightly, uh, not depressing, but slightly, um, I don't know, almost feels like a waste. Almost like it feels like a lot of wasted effort from a lot of clubs who are going to finish just outside where they dreamt mm. of finishing, doesn't it? Can I ask, Adam, where do you see Liverpool making up those points? What is it, six points on uh, on Leicester? <laughs> Win the game in hand three, isn't it? Yes, thank you, Daniel. My spokesman has spoken. <laughs> the game in hand is away at Old Trafford, which is not a gimme by any means. Yes, you, you can you can judge that for lots of fixtures on, on paper. Um, right. Uh, but I think bear in mind that Manchester United have to play on Tuesday as well. Um, yeah, that's you know, true. That you can rotate your squad all you like. There's still going to be emotional and physical fatigue to be right. uh, taken into account. So, but now, Liverpool, I mean, I won't go as far to say tails are up. But right. if, if if we talked about Rogers' supposed potential inability to galvanise a team with with um, a few games left on the clock, I don't think. Mm. There's any doubt that Klopp can do that, and if he sniffs a chance of of salvaging something out of this season, then I suspect he might be able to wring it out of his team. Okay, were you impressed then with the what was it two 0 win over uh, Southampton on Saturday? Uh, very convincing performance from the keeper Allison. What else did it had? Thiago's first Liverpool goal, and also Mo Salah assisting Sadio Mane for the first time. Those two have combined for a goal in the Premier League this season. Good lord. Mm. With all the talk of an un, what we I think we have to say is an uneasy working relationship, um, those rumours. Um, yeah, I mean that that's the key for Liverpool. If they can get those two to finally click for the last few weeks of the season, then they they can win at Old Trafford and they can win their other remaining games as well. I, it, it seems an odd thing to say a, a kind of regulation Liverpool home win because. There just haven't been many of late. I think that's the first time they've won by more than a single goal at, at Anfield in the league since December the 6th. I think they beat Wolves. Their first clean sheet since January against Manchester United as well. Uh, it's not, it wasn't a great performance. Liverpool were the better team, but... Alisson was the better keeper, I think. was, was also Very good. much. I was watching that game very much with the Southampton slant due to where I covered them last season. And I was what the thing I was watching was simply a lack of end product and a lack of pressing intensity from a Southampton team that very much live or die by that. And that is now why Southampton is 16th. Liverpool were fine-ish. I think their top four hopes very much rely on Leicester falling apart. And was, I feel as if there's like a, a, a collective willing from those outside wanting Liverpool to keep going because it's the only thing left that's mildly interesting. But I, I think Liverpool now are in this weird state where it might be better off to not chase... This sounds weird. It might be better off to not chase the top four so they don't have this weird half-and-half half state where they're in a Europa Conference or Europa League next season because the rebuild is better. So for you, it would be better for them to not try and get into the top four in case they just miss out and find themselves in the hideous limbo that is the Europa Conference League whatever that, that means <laughs> far, far be it from me as a Manchester United fan to tell Liverpool to not win games but I think there's a, a number of clubs that have vague aspirations for top four that will have some serious considerations as to whether or not it might be better to finish eighth and only have one game a week next season than get into this weird sort of Thursday Sunday vortex it's like one of those kind of hideous Japanese TV steeplechases where there's a jump but on the other side if you miss it <laughs> I know the last year has felt like a billion years anyway, but it's only five months since Southampton were third in the league after 13 games of this season, <laughs> which is... Um, so, I mean, I was looking and they've taken 14 points in the last 22 matches, which, using the official miserable comparison this season, is two fewer than Sheffield United. 
which is a serious effort given how good they were early season. Is this just one of those slumps that they'll come back at just a bad season that you ride it off and you move on and you bounce back? Or do you see something more long term here? I think they need to do plenty this summer and I think they need to there's only there's only so much point doing plenty given the apparent kind of lack of resources if Hasenhutl is going to stay because otherwise you're buying players for a manager who quite feasibly could leave at some point. I feel I feel like Hasenhutl is past the tipping point now where staying at Southampton is doing more damage to his reputation than good because five months ago he would have been a prime candidate for the Arsenal and Spurs job and now he's mm-hmm. nowhere near the conversation. Yeah, I think one of the big things with this Southampton team is they have no real depth at fullback. So going to January transfer window only with Ryan Bertrand and Kyle Walker-Peters. Walker-Peters was sort of injured. Bertrand has looked a bit more like his age, to put politely. Um, and rather than retain their their backup fullbacks in Jan Valery and uh, Jake Vokins, both of those men went out on loan. Hassel didn't trust either man. Um, and now Southampton are using centre-backs at left-back, using midfielders at left-back and whatnot. And so much of their system relies on not only the left-backs to press high up the pitch, but also they do a very weird system where the right-back sort of covers the centre-back and double up on attacker. So the fullbacks are really important. They haven't got enough fullbacks. They haven't got good enough fullbacks. And now they're around relegation. And the way Southampton's finances are set up and the slight opaqueness of their setup outside of Raf Hasenhoff, unless a large amount of money, well, not even large, a large amount of money for a club of Southampton's size is made available, they will be stuck in a holding pattern instead of what they could be, which is a Europa Conference qualifying team that wants to be in the Europa Conference. Right. Because it sounds a bit like a narrow escape when you say they could be a... Yeah. Yeah, some teams should be in the Europa Conference. Some teams have reasons to go, oh, this is a waste of time. <laughs> right, just not my team, says, <laughs> says Karl Anka. All right, well, uh, one thing we do know, I think, is that West Ham are not going to be in the top four. Is that right? Certainly the way they slumped to the to the, to the the turf at the London Stadium on, on Sunday suggested that was their impression. We'll talk about them, we'll talk about Spurs, we'll talk about Everton. And more next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Everton back in the mix because, of course, they are a one-nil win away at West Ham. We've now had three defeats in the last four. Didn't manage a single shot on target in this game, but that's courtesy of a fine performance by Carlo Ancelotti's Toffees, who do this. They go to London and they get fine away wins. Why? How did they do it this time? Well, they they serviced Dominic Calvert-Lewin with a simple pass that nobody seemed to spot. And I I really like Dominic Calvert-Lewin because he's, because he's almost entering Harry Kane territory and that I'm wait, I've waited so long for him to revert back to what I thought he would be I uh, kind of target man striker who scored maybe eight to nine goals a Premier League season uh, and now I've given up waiting for him to revert back and I've just decided he's really very good because 16 he, goals it was it was nice to see Calvert-Lewin scoring a non-Calvert-Lewin-y goal actually bearing in mind that you know Southgate this summer has got a quandary up front in terms of his, his backup strikers I, I I'm I'm not sure how cemented Calvert-Lewin's place is but um, if he can start showing that he can do other things than powerful headers and be a bit more Harry Kane because there is so much about his his current um, preparation and things like that that are so Kane-like he's really is pushing himself he is giving himself every possible um, chance of making it to the top so it's it's nice to see him, you know, scoring a straightforward striker's chance rather than one he's had to muscle into. So, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was alarmingly easy for Ben Godfrey to play the ball through uh, from West Ham's perspective. But tidy finish from Calvert Lewin, definitely. Mm. 
and Everton containing the various attacking threats of uh, of West Ham for ninety minutes without too many. There was one, there was one chance. Was was it from um, Ben Sochek Rama header? Oh, was bit right. Okay, yeah. that almost crept in, but mm. uh, but a, a big win for for Carlo Ancelotti and his ambitions of making what Carl the Europa Conference. <laughs> The Europa Ghost Zone. It, they'll be there or thereabouts. And, and I think Everton will, will benefit from having European football next season. They're, they're probably not a team that will end up in Europa League or Europa Conference and uh, begrudge the Thursday-Sunday rotation. Uh, one thing that I, to touch on Adam's point about Calvert-Lewin not scoring a Calvert-Lewin goal, a lot of the goals he scored this season have been one touch, but what was quite interesting was how he peeled off the centre-back. So he was behind the centre-back when the ball was played, moved in front of him, and so the centre back had no idea where he was, and then progress onto the ball, which it was quite uh, Edison Cavani, Harry Kane esque. Uh, I think Carvet Lewin was there or thereabouts in the in the England ladder because he's so good in the air. But if he if he indeed can score those sorts of goals, he should be there as a, a plan B or plan C. As right, I and is. if he can peel off the centre backs as well, that certainly sounds like a useful <laughs> uh, useful skill to be bringing along. Everton have Villa uh, next. I can move them within four points of the top four because I'm still banging on on that drum. Then they've got Sheffield United and Wolves at home, which would be brilliant if it wasn't for the fact that Everton are so very bad at home. I was going to say it reminds me of that. Adam will know, probably know which manager it, it is, but there was a story about, I think it was Premier League era of the team being so bad at home that they kind of set everything up like an away game. So they would go on the coach for 50 miles on a round trip and then come back to the ground and play. I can't remember who it was. It sounds vaguely Joker but I've never heard of this uh, story. At Wimbledon, all. but yeah, I can't remember who it is. But yes, they did. They used to go to a hotel and have lunches if it was an away game. <laughs> and then go on a bus. It's so good. What a wonderful story, Daniel. I do hope it's true. Uh, meantime, Spurs also look like they're out of the top four picture. Leeds beating them three-one. The Saturday lunchtime, lovely stuff. From Leeds, once again, Patrick Bamford with his 15th Premier League goal of the season. Stuart Dallas with his 8th. Usman Salam says, can the pod answer why Bielsa would favour a pitch level point of view of the game when it's often said a view from the stands is where you can see the bigger picture is preferable. But I Ooh, think the thing is, yes. Bielsa just sees the biggest picture anyway, doesn't he? You can't see a bigger picture than Bielsa sees. I remember Richard Pochettino mentioned this during the second Wembley season at Tottenham Hotspur when... Tottenham didn't start too well. Bielsa was sat on an ice box, and I'm asking mm. him why he was doing that, and he said he got it from from Bielsa because apparently it's something to do with passing angles. When it's slightly lower down, you you have better perception of exactly where the gentlemen are placed in relation to each other. So I believe that's why Bielsa sits on the bucket. So I think he's he's looking for a different kind of angle there. Uh, that might be a slightly urban legend tale, but I believe Pochettino said something along those lines back well, that's in the day. Interesting. That's interesting. Bob and Naxar, meanwhile, asked if Arsenal or Spurs should consider Bielsa as their next manager. What do you think? Would that work? Rafa Benitez is free. And considering some of the squad makeups of Arsenal and uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Benitez is probably better to go right. You're not an elite squad, but here's how I can get a lot more blood from this stone and, and get you to play slightly more pragmatic football based on the balance of your, your midfields. To loop back to something I said earlier, Tottenham are a very good example of a team that has people that are knackered. Pierre Mohoiberg has played 57 games this season and he's doing, like, Mohoiberg's entire job is doing the dirty work. He wins the ball, he passes to someone who's more talented. And to do that for 57 games after he played last season in a Hassan Southampton side, he looks properly knackered and needs a sit down and a rest. But the problem is that Tottenham Hotspur haven't got anyone who can do his job. Well, if your team are knackered, and they are basically winging it um, towards the end of the season. They just desperately want to finish. Leeds are probably the worst place to be going in, yep. with those ingredients. Um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't fancy that job. We should say as well, I mean, without wanting to dig up old graves because some of the treatment following this accusation was disgusting, but Leeds do not look tired. It should be said they looked bang up for it against Tottenham. And um, they haven't. They have been able to play one game a week this season, and mm. you cannot overstate the advantage that gives teams in this ludicrous campaign. And not many of their players are going to be at the Euros either. So, what um, on the subject of Spurs, though? What, what should Tottenham fans say to themselves in those dark moments before the dawn when 
whispers come in their ear that maybe Mourinho was right about the team's defensive proficiencies and the appropriateness of fielding Gareth Bale in Premier League matches and that kind of thing. Listen, any Spurs fan out here who's going to worry is Mourinho right? Call up your Manchester United or Chelsea supporting friend and we can coach you through that process of uh, detangling the Japanese knotweed that is Jose Mourinho from your footballing brain. It, it takes a while. You, you will have a, maybe Mourinho had a point phase, but eventually a new manager will come in who likes to hug his players and you go, oh, why did I put up with that Mourinho football? It's coming. Just You just got to push through. You're on like stage three of grief. Four and five are coming. <laughs> I do think this probably was the end of the Ryan Mason experiment in that I think there were kind of semi-serious words this week that he might be considered a candidate for the <laughs> yes. job. Um, having, well, I mean, he's less qualified for the job than Chris Powell, who's his assistant. Never mind, you know, never mind anyone else. Um, yeah, I think that has now ended as, a, as an idea. I think pick the, it's very nice to pick Delhi and Bale and everyone else and all the forwards and have a nice attacking time. But when your opponent then just picks you off and makes you look silly, it, yeah, it all kind of falls down. So I think that's probably the end of that. Although, I mean, the scoreline was fairly emphatic in Leeds's favour, but if that Harry Kane goal, without wishing to rake over old VAR issues, hadn't <laughs> been disallowed for the most marginal of offsides, if indeed it was offside, then we might be talking about a very different scoreline and a very different reaction to Ryan Mason's squad selection. Carl's not having that, so let me move on quickly before he can disagree with me uh, to uh, a question about Graham Potter, because I, I keep seeing his name linked with the Spurs job. Uh, is that a real thing? I'd, I'd like it in that I want to find out if Graham Potter's really good or not. Um, <laughs> he's kind of in that Eddie Howe, that zone that Eddie Howe occupied for two years where we, we just didn't really know and maybe never will. But look, he, 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 he has a team that creates an awful lot of chances for the ability of that team and Spurs have the best, you know, most efficient shooting in the division and Brighton have the least efficient so that kind of works but his team also do make sloppy mistakes they don't face that many shots but they make sloppy mistakes and yeah that kind the of idea feels of like bringing Spurs a manager who, who can lose games in the most bizarre of you know even <laughs> even when the final whistle's already blown and taking that manager to Spurs does sound a little bit like you know lighting matches in a <laughs> petrol station or something but yeah I mean it, it would certainly be interesting as you say it would uh, would answer one or two questions Spurs who, with Son's goal here, uh, continue to have two of the three top scorers in the Premier League this season, in uh, Min Son and Harry Kane, which is pretty extraordinary, given how uh, how much they've uh, they've struggled. Still to come on today's Totally Football Show, a word on the Arsenal, and yes, Man United, and other things too, next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Adams couldn't get to that one. That in its way tells you just how much he's suffering. Naeem hitting a long one. And he's gone in! Amazing! David Seaman, all he can do is lie in the back of his goal. Yes, dearest listener, it's the 10th of May. And it was on this day in 1995 at the Parc des Princes in Paris that Real Zaragoza beat Arsenal in the final of the Cup Winners' Cup, ask you folks, in the bitterest of fashions for the Gunners, a lob from 45 yards out in the last minute of extra time from a former Tottenham player, Naeem. It gave rise to one of the most famous and widely repeated football jokes that I can think of. We're all familiar with that one, I imagine. Yes. Yes. All right, then. Good. <laughs> Listener, let's move on. 26 years later, there's no chance of that kind of thing happening this season to Arsenal because they blew their chance of being in a European final against another mid-range Liga side, Villarreal. Last Thursday, a side managed embarrassingly by the man they'd fired to bring in, Mikel Arteta. Anyway, Sunday night, things got a bit better when Arsenal beat West Brom 3-1. Who got excited about this game? Adam, Daniel, Carl? Uh, 
All I would say about this game is that in, even if there was indeed a glimmer of light for Arsenal after a miserable week, even at 2-0, five minutes before West Brom pulled a goal back, Kyle Bartley was loudly heard to shout, come on, one goal and they'll shit themselves. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is, I feel like is is, and um, it's compounded by the fact that obviously he's a former Arsenal youngster. But um, I feel like the Emirates is the only place where you could have heard that. I don't think any other team could have it could have elicited that response from a from a player whose team are about to get relegated and are two 0 down and yet still quite fancy it. Well, they hang on though, Adam, and they even scored another goal with that William fellow. Yeah, that was quite nice. Um, given Chelsea's season sort of um, flourishing right at the end, great to see that William still has something to be pleased about and not looking back and wondering what could have been. Right, and of course he'll be facing his former friends at Chelsea this week. I think it's on Wednesday that Arsenal and Chelsea uh, meet again. As for West Brom, that's it. They are down. Covid restrictions mean that the directors weren't able to cut to any of your classic relegation scenes. So what did they do, actually? Because I kind of got up and left at that point. But did, was there anybody crying, sobbing gently? No, no? they looked pretty broken. But uh, my the best reaction was from Allardyce, who, uh, when the William free kick went in, which is right, obviously right before the end, he just turned around and said, effing brilliant hit that, wasn't it? And I thought, <laughs> yeah, it was actually, yeah. Sort of maybe audition for a commentary stint. I I have to confess I've been I have been mildly annoyed by Allardyce's demeanour in the dugout. Um, he's he's really coming across as a man who's seen it all and uh, and almost done it all. And um, uh, it's almost like this job is completely beneath him. It's just, I mean he has this proud record, of course, of having previously never been relegated from the Premier League, and it is a proud record, but one that was inevitably going to crumble as he took on steadily worse jobs. And uh, I just, I just feel like his heart wasn't in this one at all. The scene that Daniel has described just then, it has been, I've seen that so many times over the last few weeks. He sort of looks around nobody in particular and sort of mumbles something about, oh, he can't do anything with this lot, or something, something visibly to that extent. And I just think, ah, sod it, go and do something else then. Hmm. He probably will, Adam. Uh, he mm. has been relegated before, just not from the Premier League. Mm. Uh, Notts County went down under his tutelage in what we now term League One. That was back in 1997, so it was a while ago. Anyway, Arsenal get a nice win. They will miss out on the final in Gdansk, but who will be there? Apart from Villarreal, who qualified against them. Uh, Man United, Carl, that's right. Oh, you had a bit of a nervous time in I mean not that we want to rake over not that we want to go over what happened all the way back on on Thursday but oof that what what was that was that just the team thinking they were already sorted or, or what happened exactly at the stadium I think it was a case of rotation and Solskjaer has to give him credit I spent much of this season wondering what on earth is Solskjaer trying to do with this Manchester United team and it's slowly clicked into place from late January now and then the plan A is getting good and getting better now that Cavani is getting more minutes. But the plan B and the fringe players aren't particularly adept at carrying out those tasks. So United look very weak in the second leg against Roma when Alex Talis and Brandon Williams replaced Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Luke Shaw, uh, which makes this really interesting thing now where you consider the minutes played on Thursday, the minutes played on Sunday against Aston Villa, and this sort of half admission from Solskjaer that he will... He's used the word impossible a lot uh, in, in some press conferences about playing Tuesday, Thursday, and then again on the Tuesday. So one of these games, either against Leicester, Liverpool, or, or Fulham, he will have to play his fringe players, and it's likely they will lose, uh, such as the way of the way Solskjaer has built that team. It very much relies on players to spend a lot longer. In the, they get better with the longer they are in the starting eleven, uh, and a lot of players are going to come in cold for one of these three games. And uh, I imagine... It will most likely be Leicester that will be the game where United suffer a defeat. Okay. Or maybe they'll just go down in the first half and then come roaring back in the second, which is what they seem to do <laughs> all the time. And once again on Sunday afternoon. I mean, their their record at doing that this season is is ridiculous. I mean, in terms of their, their record in the games they've conceded versus they've taken 2.2 points a game in those games. No one else in the division has got better than 1.1. That They are... A phenomenal team. They take they take more points in games they concede first than ten teams in the Premier League do when they score first. Which do is... they take more points in games that they concede first in than they do 
from games they score first? No, I think it's 2.46 versus 2.21 from memory. <laughs> I mean, I, I should say I'm, I, I am an uber nerd, but I have also written about that today. <laughs> okay. What, what else did you have in your piece? What other little nuggets are there? Uh, well, the other, the other big news uh, is that apparently Harry Maguire is a doubt for the Europa League final, which is as an England fan is is too close to the Euros to not make me wince and sweat slightly. Well, from a United perspective, the extraordinary thing about Harry Maguire is that he hadn't missed a single minute of a single league game since he signed mm. for the club two, almost two, two seasons ago. So how big is it not having him for this week at least? Oh, it's a huge miss. I have left myself a hostage to fortune so by the time this podcast reaches listeners is that there should be a piece on the athletic where i try and guess a starting lineup for tuesday's game against leicester city based on who played on thursday and who played on sunday Maguire racked 71 games in a row where he completed it i think that's over six and a half thousand minutes we know for a fact he was taking painkilling injections towards the end of last season he had a hip complaint for about two months as well uh, always bear in mind when a player is taking painkilling injections, they are essentially sort of taking off a couple of months at the latter end of their career. So if I understand when John Terry was taking a lot of painkilling injections in Mourinho's Chelsea, he also had some quite serious discussions about whether or not he'd have full use of his legs in sort of the 50s and 60s of his life. Um, so it's, it's no small thing to take painkilling injections. And Maguire has taken a lot last season so if he was to go off with an ankle complaint which Solskjaer said it must be a big deal because he's not someone to sort of not play through the pain as it were um, I think the on an England perspective United on an England perspective they don't really have a centre-back of Maguire's ilk in reserve so Maguire is a quite interesting combination of the meat and potatoes centre-back where you know tackling heading the ball and whatnot but he's also a very good ball carrier so whenever Manchester United have problems progressing the ball in deeper midfield Maguire sort of goes Fred stand out the way I'll just do it myself which is also quite useful for England because Maguire can do that especially when they play in the back three I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Maguire will make the Euro squad and will be available because he strikes me as the sort of person who if it was a case between take a painkiller injection and you can make the England squad he will probably take the painkiller injection on the uh, subject of players not missing very many minutes, uh, a shout out to Anaki Williams at Athletic Bilbao, who last didn't play in an Athletic Bilbao La Liga game in April 2016, which is ridiculous for an attacking player. Very nice, very nice. Just an, another word, we, we talked about um, United's ability to to win games from losing positions it's, it's because they can call upon the likes of Edinson Cavani from the bench um, more love this weekend for his ability to move off the ball which you know sometimes I always think is a bit oh, everyone's being a bit wise after the event but in this particular example when he scored against Aston Villa um, the first time I have ever noticed at least a player beginning his run before the player who crossed the ball even received the ball that's that's how programmed he is to get himself into goal-scoring positions. So um, the ball hadn't even gone out wide before he would start racing round the, his marker. And uh, it was just, it was really nice to see. It's not something I normally pick up on, but I was genuinely impressed. So I am on the uh, Cavani movement bandwagon. Right. Cavani, presumably somebody who didn't take a lot of painkillers when he was young because he's uh, having quite the Indian summer to his career at Old Trafford. And I imagine that all efforts will be made to retain his services for next year, Carl. Very much so. So he, throughout his career, had a very sort of, well, they, they could describe him as an ultra-professional, uh, very much goes to training, goes home, eats the right foods. Uh, there's a very good article in the Players' Tribune where he sounds quite unhappy with his lot in football um so he, it's a sort of letter to his younger self where he goes yes football will give you your freedom but also football sort of means you only ever travel in cars and planes and whatnot so uh he's he's a very interesting player in that he spends a lot of time to maintain his body so he can play as many games as possible but you also get the sense that he can't he's looking forward to retiring and going back mm. home from what i understand uh he has felt a lot more he's felt a lot more relaxed in manchester since lockdown rules have been eased in early April, uh, there's been a really good piece from Andy Mitten where he talked to some of 
the Uruguayans' friends from back home, and they they gave a, a nice shout to Stretford Mall uh, and a butcher's there, and said the meat there has a uh, convinced Cavani. Actually, ah, oh, Manchester isn't too bad. Excellent. We've we've touched on it in the past that the difficulties of trying to acclimatize yourself, or trying trying to accustomize yourself to a different team, a different language and 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 country in the middle of a pandemic lockdown it cannot be underestimated well there you go a fine result for man united in a busy week uh, three league matches coming up in five days or including that one on sunday or six in a 17 day period in the run that culminates with the europa league final in gdansk all righty also this weekend crystal palace got a 2-0 win away at sheffield united daniel's chuckling about that why yeah, I daniel mean- I, I, I know it's hideously offensive to Sheffield United, but I've almost forgotten their games are kind of still being played in the Premier League. And that was the the Saturday 3pm, which has become, was the, the kick-off time, is almost now been relegated to the other kick-off time, which is a huge shame. But yes, I, I had officially forgot, having watched that match, I had forgotten about it. Relegated in every sense. Sheffield United can still break the Premier League record for most defeats in a season. They're on 28. <laughs> They've got three games left. Wolves, meantime, bounce back from their recent uh, poor run with a 2-1 victory over Brighton, featuring loftiness's Dan Byrne. Wolves <laughs> fielding a very young side here. Uh, Brighton having two red cards. There are various talking points from this game, but it did feel a little bit like, well, Brighton actually, I mean, they still have something to play for because this defeat means they are still technically within reach of Fulham, although that might change on Monday night when Fulham host Burnley. Uh, Fulham are nine points behind. But but yeah, a couple of red cards here which won't help Brighton when they face West Ham this week. Can I just say at this point, James, I saw a headline this evening um, that described Brighton as nine-man Brighton. Yes. Uh which, bearing in mind that Neil Mopay was sent off after the final whistle, I find it I find disgusting. <laughs> I find disgusting. All sorts of things happen. Um, for Brighton, games don't end with the final whistle, as you know. So <laughs> yes, that's true. In their case. Uh, anyway, Morgan Gibbs-White with his first Premier League goal to win that game for Wolves. Anyway, on Thursday in the Totally Football Show will be the second semi-final of the Intertotally Cup, which will feature Benji Lanyardo up against Julian Laurent. So make sure you join us for that. Uh, today, let's wrap up this show with uh, some chat about other things that have happened. And first of all, some odds from Carl Monaghan of Paddy Power. Hi again, James, and hi again, listeners. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's squad will be tested to their limits when they embark on two games in the space of 50 hours in midweek. They're busiest one for a while in the Premier League, and that's really saying something in a season that has been relentless. Following a trip to Villa Park on Sunday, a quick ice bath and then it's back up north to face Leicester at tea time on Tuesday where United will be seeking sweet revenge against Brendan Rodgers' men for the 3-1 defeat that saw United exit the FA Cup through a Fred-shaped hole in the door. Leicester's top four challenge went up in smokes post-lockdown last season. They've stumbled along in recent weeks with only a point collected in their last couple of games. Harsh lessons were surely learned last year about complacency. On their travels this season, they've been solid though, having only lost twice all season. So with that steal in mind, a draw at 9-4 could be on the cards against the United side, who are sure to be cramping up late on. Another ice bat, followed by a long massage, will see Manchester United then back out on the pitch for United-Liverpool take two on Thursday evening. Klopp's men are the favourites, but the value may be with the hosts, folks. Yes, the Liverpool legs may be fresher, but their minds fragile after a gruelling campaign and a failed title defence. With home advantage being so influential in this fixture for decades, the 23-10 about United looks a lot more attractive than the soul-searching sabbatical that some of the Liverpool players will surely have to go on this summer. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, we've got loads of podcasts coming up this week. Tony Football League shows out on Monday. Of course, the Championship finished on Saturday. It's the playoffs next. Darren Leithley says, let's have your playoff promotion tips. The playoff teams are? In alphabetical order, Barnsley, Bournemouth. Brentford, Swansea, City. In alphabetical right. order. How helpful. Thank you. And who's your who's your tip, Daniel? I think Bournemouth will go up. I mean, 
obviously they deserve it if they go up, but having the same three go up that come down, there is serious questions to ask about the quality of or the gap between the Premier League and the Championship at the moment. Norwich are going to have gone 94 points, 21 points, 95 points, which doesn't suggest that it will be easy again next season. I'm backing Brentford all the way. Um, uh, whilst I share Daniel's concerns about the yo-yo-ness of certain clubs, um, the Premier League is overdue a new breath of fresh air and Brentford are going to be that next season. I'm also on Brentford. I think Ivan Tony is of such a striking calibre that in, in, in these sort of short form games, he gives Brentford a boxer's punch and they should go through. I think it's one of those really interesting things where Every now and again, you get those sort of World Cup semi-finals where one semi-final has very clearly got the better two teams in it. And I think the winner of Bournemouth and, and uh, Brentford should almost automatically win the playoffs because so, so I'm, I'm really sorry for what I said. That was really mean to fans of Swansea and, and Barnsley there. Really sorry, but that's how I think. When, when are the games coming up? Uh, on 17th of May, uh, first legs and the second legs will be on the 22nd. So this will be wrapping up quite quickly. Totally Scottish Football Show is out on Tuesday, as is the Totally Football Show's European edition, which will have Jules and Rafa and James and Alvaro, but Bayern now champions and Robert Lewandowski closing in on the all-time season-high goal-scoring record and all sorts of other things as well, including the latest drama from that Liga title race that just won't stop. And, of course, the uh, Offside Rules WSL edition is out on Tuesday, uh, talking about Chelsea's title win. That's their fourth WSL title in six years. Before we leave you today, something else that's uh, looming on the horizon is the publication of, Carl, the book you've done with Marcus Rashford. Now, last time you were on, you couldn't really say too much because there was a certain amount of embargoedness. But now you can tell us all the, all the secrets. A, how much fun was it working with Marcus? And B, anything else you want to say? Uh, a, it was really fun working with Marcus Rashford. He, he's a delight to, to talk to. I will be getting copies of the book shortly, which I'm going to really enjoy flicking through just to see some of his amazing words. B, uh, interesting about Marcus Rashford. Every time we meet, I challenge him to a game of rock, paper, scissors, and he maintains it has to be best of three. So if I beat him once, he... he gets enough chance to, 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 to make it up and he always beats me when it's best of three also uh, I asked him once so he comes from he comes from a losing position to win uh, roll paper scissors <laughs> yeah, yeah. So interesting now, okay yeah. before uh, you move on and you know do make a mental note of what you're about to say but I'm fascinated when he always wins in rock paper scissors but over a, a series of three does he always employ the same hand shape so that he, the reason he does three is so that he has the odds in his favour that it didn't work this time, but the next two, because each each different kind of hand formation has a has a will win two out of three, I think, doesn't it? No, he doesn't adhere to the, the traditional pattern of quote unquote expert rock paper scissors players. So I, I know the general rule is you start off with scissors and then you start a rotation where you try and pick something that would have beaten your last pick. So you start with scissors, then you go with rock, then you go with paper. And if you go with that rotation, you tend to win one out of three. So he doesn't do that. He, he, he just he just beats me because he's Marcus Rashford and he's a Premier League footballer and a lot better at competition than I am. I want to play rock, paper, scissors with you right now, Carl. So are you sure. ready? Okay. What do you want to do? Okay. One, two, three, go? Yeah, yeah. We go one, two, three. Okay, you ready? Okay. One, two, two three, three, go. Go. Yeah, but I reckon the delay favoured you. You came in with that fist. Of- I can see your hand, James. You could have kept that low and just brought up. Ah, all right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Carl won, but I want another two. But, listener, you've got other things you want to do. On with your story, Carl. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, we had talks about his childhood and whatnot, and one of the anecdotes that came up was his, his favourite Ninja Turtle was Donatello, which, I mean, Donatello's the scientist. Is that um, right? Yeah, so I would expect it. I thought he was going to say something like Raphael because he was cooler in my book. But Don I'm like in a fever dream here. <laughs> <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors, and the teenage mutant here in details. Wow. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that, that's just a, a smattering of some of the delights that await you. Name of the book, Carl? Uh, you are a champion because Marcus Rashford truly believes everyone has the potential to be a champion and everyone already is a champion in their own special way. Uh, I would also like to plug uh, a piece I've written on footballs in Ramadan because I feel as if while we're also talking about how a lot of Premier League football players are knackered, I think it's also 
worth noting that a number of football players right now in the Premier League are not eating food between the hours of six o'clock in the morning and eight o'clock at night. Uh, so we had the game between Crystal Palace and Leicester City, which had a pause halfway you know, in the 30th minute. So Wesley Fofana and Cech Karate could break their fuss. Uh, so Eid will be coming sometime this week. Uh, I do not know for sure because it obviously depends on sightings of the new moon. So there will be players breaking fa- their fast in some of their in some of the late kickoffs that you'll see in midweek, and then for next week's fixtures, um, it will no longer be Ramadan, and certain Muslim players will be you know their energy levels will be adjusting as we uh, continue. So I would heartily recommend that piece. I wrote it with Nujum, which is a consultancy firm for Muslim athletes, as they explain to me what they do to help. Muslim football players oh, get the help they need during Ramadan. And that's on The Athletic as well, Carl? That is on The Athletic as well. Brilliant. Well, th- that's uh, th- that's magnificent. Uh, many thanks to you, uh, Carl and Daniel and Adam, for being with us. Listen, thank you for giving us a reason for doing all this talking. And we'll be back with you on Tuesday with the Euro crew and then with the usual Thursday show then. Have a super week from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.